It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. Stan Dryav, Nick Braccia coming at you to break down UFC Fight Night. Rosenstrike versus Gone coming up this weekend. Aaron, of course, we're going to get into Blades versus Lewis that we're coming off of now. Nikolai, you took four points to my three. Congratulations on leading in this event. The overall tally is now 14 points for me, 13 for you. Nick, you're closing the gap. You had the slight edge in what, two of we, the events. Uh, we got to figure this out, event. these alternative facts. Are, we're, are we go, is our main scoring these points, or is it who wins cards, or are those things of equal importance? I would say like the overall tally at the end of the year should focus on our overall points. Just because if you pick 50 fighters that won and I only pick 48, it doesn't make sense that you know that that I should win the season. Well, it depends. It it just puts the it puts the onus on the on the drafting. Because sometimes avoiding the trick, not committing to a tricky pick is strategy. So it's, you know, they're two different games. So I think, uh, I think they're of equal importance. I would say that uh, you and I are always trying to pick winning fighters, just like regardless of anything else, right? And there could be three events in a row where one of us ekes the other one out. And it could be two events where uh, the, the first guy dominates. And like, you know, it's kind of like an MMA okay. where you got a 10-8 round versus a 10-9. That's yeah, kind of my yeah, logic yeah. About I just, it. I prioritize, I prioritize beating you over picking winning and, fighters. And you did. You, <laughs> you, you, got, you got one more pick than me this week. You got one more pick than me last week. I just dominated you in that second event uh, of our season, which is what's giving me the two-point yeah. edge. At, but oh, your, rec- your draft record was, your draft record was, I, what was oh, I, did I end up being four and two? I ended up being four and two. I think you were three and three or two and four. Yeah, you you were four and two, and I was three and three. And a couple of those really close decisions are kind of what decided this event for us. I picked yeah. Caitlin Vieira, who really controlled uh, Yana Kuniskaya for probably 10, 12 minutes, uh, probably about eight or nine minutes of that fight. Um, and Yana Kuniskaya clearly landed the more damaging shots, clearly landed and threw shots, whereas Vieira barely threw any offense. Then we have the matchup between Phil Hawes and Nasruddin Mavov, where Hawes was the one controlling. Hawes clearly won the first round, and in the second and third rounds, Mavov clearly rocked Hawes badly, had him dancing, clearly landed the more damaging shots, but Hawes controlled, literally just kind of holding him up against the cage, the occasional takedown for a few moments, yeah. and Hawes ended up walking away with the decision. And those are the two fights that literally decided this event. And good on you for making that pick. Uh, yes, on, but also, I believe that was your last were- pick. There were three fights that we disagreed on, and I was correct in all of those. Well, I ended up changing my pick. Oh, that's for the right, Hawes, fair weather. Uh, yeah, fair weather picker over there. Okay, sure. That's uh, that's one way to put it. But uh, <laughs> but but yeah, I uh, it was it, it was a it, look on as of last week's episode. You definitely had the better picks overall. You had the better picks on this event. As a matter of fact, Nick, you went seven and five on the event in your overall picks, which doesn't sound impressive. But of all the people I follow in the MMA space, that's the best record for this event i haven't seen a single one that even went eight and four on this one so pretty impressive stuff on your I end did, nikolai I did, the, I did the best i could in my my out my hours pouring over videotape and research and making calls to the gyms this is number one bullshit this is number one nick is number one bullshit guy <laughs> <laughs> okay 
Let's talk about the card briefly and then get into this very, very exciting card we've got coming up on Saturday night. Let's do it, buddy. So Curtis Blades looked about as dominant as I think a lot of people imagined he could look, but he could only pull it off for a round. It seemed like Derek Lewis was waiting for that perfect shot. And when you have his kind of power, when you have his speed, it's doable, right? The, the guy's in shape for the, over the last couple of years, the first time in his career where he's truly genuinely in shape. His back is not bothering him. He went in there, waited for Curtis Blades to finally shoot, and Curtis Blades did shoot. He had an uppercut waiting for him. Blades went out before he hit the floor. Oh. Fantastic knockout by Derek Lewis once again. After a great first round, it's I don't know what Curtis Blades was thinking. I don't know if he was tired. That was a terrible shot. It was te- it was so telegraphed. If you watched all the footage they were playing back and all the videotape about how he fight, fought Volkov, how he's fought his other fights, he hides his shots behind punches. He uses it, you know, like a like a pitch like a pitcher um, confusing hitters because you don't know if he's going to throw a fastball or a changeup. If he was throwing that big that big one two at Lewis, had him backing up and then follows that up with a shot as Lewis is trying to defend his face, he's not going to he's not going to have the uppercut. He's not going to be in position for it. This was almost as bad of a shot as um who did Ryan Bader? Oh, when Ryan Bader shot on Anthony Johnson. That was a that was that reminds me of this shot as far as like come on, bro. Like you got to with a guy with that kind of power, you need to set it up so they don't know the shot is coming or can't defend it. Like it's it was just a really it was a it was a lazy moment and Lewis was just ready. That's all that's all there is to it. This was a completely winnable fight for Blades. I mean, I think it's tough to say that because Blades has been rocked in so many of his MMA fights, right? By guys like Mark Hunt. Uh, sure. And Ganu obviously rocked him a couple well, those of times. Guys, I mean, you're talking about two ma- two of the biggest punchers in heavyweight history there, but yes. Yeah, and we're talking about another one, right? Another, another one, yeah, one of for the sure. the biggest punchers in heavyweight history and Derek Lewis. And that's the thing is that his chin over five rounds, right, he would have to stay pretty perfect. And I say this in retrospect, right? I wasn't saying this last week. But over five rounds, he'd have to stay pretty damn perfect not to get Dak tagged by Derek Lewis. And what are the odds with t- Derek Lewis being relatively tireless you can hurt the guy for two rounds straight, have him killed over with uh, from body shots, and then he can just come back and knock you out and explode a few times, and the fight is over. Um, that's just that's just the magic of Derek Lewis, right? Like he's great. Like Derek a, Lewis is great. I just think I think Blades has the skills. He just did not. Oh, absolutely. He didn't. He, did, he didn't execute. I think he possibly could have the way his his combos were landing and his strike his strikes were sharp. I don't know how long he could have kept it up for, but I thought it, I thought a TKO, a swarm based TKO against the fence was even, you know, was was even possible. It's just maybe he was going to lose, but he, but he he lost because of a very very stupid mistake. He, I don't know. You're saying it's a stupid mistake. It's the I'm way saying he Curtis shot. Blades, I'm saying he telegraphed a shot and didn't set it up against one of the most dangerous men in the history of fighting. No, I agree. But part of my point is that I don't know that he could do it a whole lot better than he did. I agree that he just went right in for that one shot. Um, but he tried for a takedown right before that in that second round. He was landing strikes at will. I think it's almost like Curtis Blaze decided I need to temper myself because I was exhausted in my last fight and I barely got away with the win. I need to temper myself and control myself and not... Uh, tire myself out like I did before because this guy will take advantage of it and it seemed like he had that moment after he just 
put out a bunch of uh, energy very, very early in that second round. And then he kind of slowed down and was just kind of standing in front of Lewis for a little bit before the shot came in. And you're right. He didn't really hide it at that moment. Uh, and part of it is because I think he was a little bit frustrated. He couldn't get Lewis down moments before that. Um, and again, the, 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 the tired factor was getting it to his head. But yeah, look, he, he didn't set up that moment. And I think uh, one of the announcers mentioned, I think it was Michael Bisping mentioned that he had a conversation with Rashad Evans. And Rashad Evans said, yes. the only thing that Curtis Blades does not do well, it's his entrance. It's risky. And that's exactly what cost him in this matchup. And yeah, I mean, it was the same thing with Francis Ngannou in that there was no situation in which Curtis Blades was not going to give Ngannou something to counter, whether it be by throwing strikes, whether it be by shooting him for a takedown. And Derek Lewis is not the level of counterfighter. He's not as skilled and talented in the pocket as is Francis Ngannou, but he has extreme power and extreme speed. He's extremely athletic, right? It's fascinating. You don't see a whole lot of guys make it to high-level MMA at this point of the sport if they didn't have an expertise going into their MMA training, right? So a uh, serious Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt starts training MMA and rounding out his game and, you know, tailors his game toward taking the fight to the ground. A serious kickboxer rounds out his game, tailors his game toward uh, keeping the fight on the feet so he can land damage, right? Derek Lewis doesn't have that. Derek Lewis has serious athleticism. He has serious speed and serious power, and that's it, right? He has no discernible skills in any area. This is a guy that, let's face it, was his last loss was to Junior Dos Santos. He was Junior Dos Santos' last win, and JDS hasn't won since 2019. So, like, technically he's not, very good right but he has that power and he has that perseverance where he'll he'll calmly wait his way through a couple of rough rounds and wait for his one opportunity to explode and if he hurts you it is over that man smells blood the fight is done yeah i mean good you know good for him i'd love to see him and ngano in a real fight um so we'll see we'll see what happens but yeah Derek lewis has hung around blades you know we'll see we'll see what's what's next for him but that's three Three pretty bad uh, knockouts he suffered. Yeah, that first one wasn't so bad. It was a cut uh, in his UFC debut against Frantz Ngani, who was actually winning that fight, much like this one. But that second and, and uh, knockout against Ngano loss, the, this loss, it's not looking good for him. And he's now in this weird position. We have Derek Lewis at ranked at number two at this point. He came up two spots. Right, we have Curtis Blaze below at number three. Jarzinho Rosenstruck at number four. I would tend to think that. Curtis Blades should probably be matched up with the loser with the loser of this weekend's main event. Rosenstrike yep. versus Gone. I think that would be the most that interesting thing to do. And it seems to me like Derek Lewis is very much willing to fight in the meantime. I don't think he's willing to fight uh, to wait a couple of months, uh, not only for Stipe Miocic to fight Francis Ngannou for the title. I don't think he's willing to wait for John Jones to come in and get that next title shot. He's 36. Yeah, but at the same time, like calling out Alistair Overeem was... I mean, Overeem is going to want no part of that, and I don't want to see it. Nobody want, nobody wants to see this. Um, I mean, I think we all know what's going to happen in that fight. Like, I've enjoyed crafty Overeem, but there, there's no way that he doesn't get caught by Derek Lewis. <laughs> I think he, I think I he probably, I think he probably knows that. So I don't, um, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. You've got these two, um, you've got these two prospects coming up, but they're they don't they shouldn't have to fight Lewis yet. No, I, I think the perfect matchup for Derek Lewis right now is a rematch with Alexander Volkov. It's been years. I was going to say the same thing. 
Yeah, yep. it's been years since their first fight. I think either of those two guys could easily make the argument to be the next in line for that title shot. It would jump up Alexander Volkov a few spots to beat Blades uh, all the way up to possibly number two. And if Derek Lewis walks away with that one, then he's beaten yeah. Curtis Blades. He's beaten, uh, you know, I don't think Overeem is willing to fight him. Uh, we have Gon, who's coming into this weekend. That could be another matchup for him, right? He could fight the winner of Gon versus Rosenstrike. I think that would be fascinating. I think a lot of folks were waiting for Rosenstrike versus Derek Lewis to happen at some point. So if not Volkov, that's the fight that that's would That's the go. fight. The win- yeah, the winner of, of those two. I actually think he'd have much bigger problems with Gon than he will with Rosenstrike, but we'll see. You uh, Yeah, I could, uh, I could. I mean, I think in either case, these are much more skilled kickboxers, as far as we can tell, with really solid chins. But we did see Rosenstrike knocked out that one time against Francis Ngannou recently, so I can certainly see Derek Lewis pulling off the same thing eventually. Yeah, and we don't know what Gon's chin is really like because he had. We haven't seen him hit by any of these any of these monsters. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. Uh, who should Blades fight next, Nick? Augusto Sakai. Uh, I th- I was thinking Sakai would fight. Uh, I liked Sakai Aspinall. Um, Sakai Aspinall, perhaps. Well, I guess Sakai's coming off of a loss. Yeah, I guess that I guess that makes sense. Or as you as you said earlier, he should fight the loser of this week's this week's main event. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that's that's definitely the way to go. Um, so yeah, j- just real quick about Curtis Blades, man. He looked phenomenal in that first round. Absolutely dominated him on the feet. He was a little bit too aggressive, and he still needs to temper his energy. But it's a shame to see such a talented guy go down the wayside. And it's also a shame to see a guy that suddenly started talking some trash, suddenly started making himself interesting, right? His own version of trash talk, and it like it's not turning out with good results between that very rough fight against Alexander Volkov and this fight against Derek Lewis man it's it's a bit of a rough going for uh for a guy that is used to being on a streak that's used to winning that is an extremely successful MMA fighter so I, I do feel a little bit bad for Curtis Blades there. he's still pretty young though for heavyweight I mean he's only 30 definitely and he's still he's 14 and 3 and for heavyweight you're right that's like a that's like a young prospect at 30 years old and he's with you know he's with elevation which is a team you know that overall has had a ton of success i'm just thinking of the guys that he sees you know and he walks into that gym i'm not exactly sure who his training partners are oh i guess overeem's there um but yeah i mean neil magny drew dober gagey there's you know san hagen there's that's a good freaking gym yeah, I could see him and San Sanhagen tearing it up. Sanhagen is like almost five, almost six feet tall, but he's one hundred and forty pounds, one hundred fifty. Oh, I meant more as just the quali- quality. <laughs> oh no, of I, training, I totally. Not, I don't uh, assume that they are sparring partners. I, I know I was making a lame attempt at a joke, but yeah, just like there's not a whole lot of big guys in that gym. Certainly not high level ones. It seems like it's mainly just him and Overeem, which. Um, I do wonder if that's hurting Curtis, not having like a big high-level body to deal with. But uh, I guess that's something that he'll have to figure out. Well, there's just not. There's not a lot. I mean, there's not that many of them when you get to that level. It's like true. You're you right. know, it's like heavyweight's always been a top-heavy division. Yeah, it's also the kind of division where you don't want two top heavyweights fighting uh, out of the same camp, since they're likely to have to fight. Since there aren't a lot of quality heavyweights in the world. Period. Um, and we touched a little bit on the Yana Kunitskaya, Caitlin Vera fight. I have no problem uh, prioritizing damage over control. I'm actually glad that judging is slowly coming to the point where they realize that a takedown is not the end-all be-all. It's not like a knockdown, right? You're not 
necessarily doing any real damage with it. And controlling an opponent on the ground is not doing damage either. It might be tiring someone out a bit. But doing damage, right? Landing hard shots, that's what counts. And so for that reason, even though it's a controversial decision that Yana Kunitskaya won over Caitlin Vera, even though it cost me this event, I don't have much of a problem with this decision. Uh, it seemed like in the first round, it was very competitive. Uh, Caitlin Vera controlled the majority of it, but Kunitskaya did land some shots. Second round, Kunitskaya was able to get top position and did pretty well from there, landed some ground to pound. In the third round, Vera controlled almost the entire round until the last few moments where Kunitskaya got on top and landed some serious ground to pound. And, and yeah, again, the judges and got close to, I mean, almost got a, fin- you know, you wonder if she would have gotten the finish, but she also did incredible damage. Like opening mm-hmm. up cuts, like it, when when Caitlin Vera got up, it wasn't a good look. Definitely not. She opened up a big cut, I believe, with an elbow very late in that third round, and uh, a really solid win for Kunitskaya. Who, you know, I talked about how she's not very dynamic. She showed for the first time in her UFC career that she has some dynamism to her, and I think that'll really come in handy against this level of opposition. So now we're in a situation where Yana Kuniskaya just moved up two spots. She's at number five in the world. I don't know if Irene Aldana is scheduled at the moment. I don't know if Aspen Ladd is, but maybe those are the matchups to make for her. If the UFC is willing to uh, make a Holly Holm Yana Kuniskaya matchup, I think that makes sense. I don't know why Holly Holm is, by the way, at number two at bantamweight still like does she have a losing record it's a weird popularity contest in those ufc Uh, and she's fighting juliana pena in may and she's got two you know she's coming off of uh she's on a two fight win streak since getting knocked out by nunez so that's you know that's scheduled um yeah, that makes plenty of sense to me. I've I have no problem with that match. Aspen Ladd doesn't ha- Aspen Ladd doesn't have anyone on her on her uh, fight card. That could um, be the one to make. Yeah, uh, I mean Aldana's coming off that loss, so I mean Kudaskaya, um Aspen Ladd beat Kudaskaya. That's right. They already did compete against each other. That would not make sense. And honestly, it was it was a pretty like clear cut, I think, win for Aspen Ladd. So Kunitskaya probably not fighting. I guess Raquel Pennington. She doesn't seem to have anyone scheduled at the moment. She's coming yeah, off of a win over Marion Renault. So would, that would that be the sense. matchup to make. Yeah. Yeah, and, I'm definitely uh, into that. And for Vieira, who do you have? Uh, for Vieira, maybe the loser of uh <clears throat> Macy Chazon, Marion Renault, which is coming up. Uh uh, later this month, yeah. Oh, wait a minute. That fight's supposed to be this weekend, but it wasn't on the card. It must have gotten canceled. Yeah, I'm guessing so. Maybe it's just it's just not mentioned here. That's the second time that this fight would be rescheduled if that's the case. But yeah, I guess I guess that fight might make sense. Um, you know, we have Lena Landsberg, Sarah McMahon, I guess, are our considerations. Penny Kanzada is another one that is coming off of a win, so maybe this would be more of kind of a... a, a a prospect versus prospect fight between Kianzad and Vieira, where uh, sure Vieira's coming off of a loss, but if she can pull this off over Kianzad, it takes her above and beyond. And if Penny Kianzad can come out with that win, then she's a serious contender with wins over Jessica Rose Clark, Bechkohea, Eubanks, and then Vieira. That would really put uh, Kianzad into the mix. Agreed. What um, else do we have? Uh, Derek Minner. Yeah, real quick, Minner. Uh, Minner just. I guess Charles Rosa likes being on the bottom because between this fight and Bryce Mitchell, <laughs> he did not, uh, you know, he's, he spent uh, a, a, a good half an hour uh, defending 
uh, yeah, in guard. It's his lack of athleticism. I think that's really hurting him. Derek Minner's always been like a talented athletic guy. He's just always blew his entire gas tank in the first few minutes trying to finish. And it seems like training with James Krause in glory MMA has really corrected that. And they've really focused on tempering him, slowing him down, having him focus more on control rather than just trying to buzzsaw his opponent. And that worked perfectly because Charles Rosa is not dynamic. He's not explosive. He's not athletic at all. And those stronger guys, those more athletic guys, they're going to have an advantage over him. Minner could have easily lost this fight if he fought the way he did in his first few couple of UFC fights, but he made all the right decisions, so good on him. Yeah, and we've got uh, uh, Chris Dawkins made made very quick work of Alexi Olianic, which, 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 which was most likely going to happen. We've got, you know, between Dawkins and Aspinall, we've got two very um, exciting, interesting, well-rounded guys um, to watch who both, who both have serious, uh, serious pop in their hands. Don't really need to see Oleanic again. Uh, you know, Dawkins, let's not, I would prefer to not match him up against Aspinall and, re- and remove a, uh, a prospect. A hundred percent agreed. But um, knowing the UFC's lazy matchmaking, that's probably exactly what they're going to do. Uh, probably. Yeah. I think you're, I think you're, <laughs> I think that's most likely what's going to happen. I, I mean, think with Dawkins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Dawkins, I would. Uh, oh boy, it's like I'm trying to think who's coming off of a win. I mean, I would probably match up Dawkins and Tabura, perhaps, or I mean, or maybe Aspinall Tabura. I think one of them needs to fight Tabura, who's also. You're talking about three fighters who are at least on three fight win streaks in the UFC, and I think that I think that Tabura fighting either one of them uh, makes sense. Although Dawkins is somehow rated. Uh, higher, which I think is kind of ridiculous, since uh, Tibera does have victories over at least guys like Ben, like Ben Rothwell. Like uh, I think, yeah, I think his resume is just a little bit uh, better, and he's a little bit more proven. Even though Dawkins has the better upside, which is why I think Tibera would be a great, uh, you know, kind of a great gatekeeper for him if he is indeed in the top ten. Like most of these guys are coming off losses, and I don't. I don't want to put Chris Dawkins in there with Volkov uh, quite yet. I don't necessarily have a problem with Dawkins being ranked above Tabura, who, yeah, he beat Greg Hardy, but he's not top 15 at heavyweight. Ben Rothwell at this point in his career is not a quality heavyweight. Maxim Grishin on no, a couple but... days' notice is a light heavyweight with super low output. Like, his wins aren't impressive, whereas Dawkins is coming off of three knockouts. And yeah, I believe like all three. Parker uh-huh. Porter and Rodrigo Nascimento. Well, we know Rodrigo Nascimento, granted, neither of those guys are really accomplished UFC heavyweights, but both guys won all of their fights in the UFC, granted, whether it be one or two. Both these guys are successful UFC fighters when they didn't fight Dawkins. And Alexei Olenek is a top, you know, 10 or 12 ranked fighter. So I kind of see it. I don't think that Tabura has a Alexei Olenek level of win lately. He does have, you know, a couple of impressive wins throughout his career. But yeah, look, look I think the argument could be made either way there. I, I fear Tabura is also a guy that's kind of on the come up. He's, he's almost uh, kind of catching his second breath here in his UFC career. It would be, a, I think there's some risk. He's, a, he's kind of a high-level gatekeeper. I think there's some risk, especially if he is ranked below where Dawkins is right now. I don't know if JDS is going to hang around the UFC, but I would match Dawkins up with JDS. I think that's the kind of matchup. Maybe Overeem, if Overeem is down to come back and fight some more, if the UFC is willing to give him like half a million dollars to get potentially roughed up by a prospect. Uh, I think that would be a good test for Dawkins. The thing with a lot of these heavyweights is that they don't have the experience, right, to outcraft a veteran over the course of three to five 
rounds. Uh, a lot of them don't have the conditioning. A lot of them don't have the ground game. Dawkins has a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. I haven't seen him much on the ground yet, but that's got to mean something, especially considering that his brother, I believe it's Kyle Dawkins. I may be wrong about his first name. His brother is a really solid Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. Yeah. And, and, you know, presumably both their training is high level. Dawkins has lost a lot of weight over the last couple of years, right? He's 230 pounds now. He's potentially viable to make 205, which means he's probably in great shape. And on top of that, he is gaining the experience throughout his UFC career, although three first-round knockouts, uh, three first or second-round knockouts are probably not helping him. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited about Dawkins. I underestimated him going into his first two UFC fights. I didn't going into this matchup. I'm not sure if this is one that we disagreed on, but you certainly uh, weren't very confident in Dawkins. But yeah, how about the stoppage, Nick? Just real quick, Herb Dean uh, botched the stoppage in that fight. He just let Alexi Olenek just keep taking big, yeah. big shots. I was Dawkins. pretty confident about Dawkins. You, I thought you were, you thought that that there was a chance that Oleanic was could I mean we both thought like hey you never know like with with Oleanic and his chokes but I think we felt pretty good about Dawkins. Yeah cuz I remember when I made that pick you had a reaction like oh and maybe it's cuz I uh, maybe it's cuz I I chose and you were going to choose it next. Yes uh, that's what it was. That's what it was. And then Phil Hawes, Nasruddin, and Mavov. This is one that I had a lot of trouble with. I ended up changing my pick from Imavov to Phil Hawes. My logic was that Imavov is tough enough to survive the first round. I was right. Um, and that he could outwork Phil Hawes and outdamage him in the second and thirds. I was right there, but the problem is that Hawes employed a lot of his wrestling, just kind of held him up against the fence, took him down, and just kind of held him down there. Uh, definitely took a lot more damage in rounds two and three and walked away with a majority decision, which means one of the judges called it a draw. Um, I Again, I, I would love it if, if the judges were consistent like they were in that Kunitskaya-Kalin Vera fight. They clearly prioritize damage over just pure control with no damage and in this matchup Phil Hawes wasn't going for any submissions like Vera was right so he wasn't even trying to finish the fight really that first round was clearly his that second and third he controlled but man did he get did he almost get knocked out of there man he looked exhausted in the third round barely walking uh, got clocked again uh, it's a shame I think Amavov is a serious serious prospect I also think like we've got to realize that the guy that Amavov fought in his last fight and it was a hard fought decision that he clearly won against Jordan Williams Jordan Williams is a skilled gritty guy who has a serious serious power he hurts Imavov way more than Phil Hawes did and Phil Hawes is known for having serious serious power so yeah definitely excited about uh, Imavov and where he can head next same with uh, Hawes as well yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was a good fight. I mean, I don't know that I would have called the third round a ten eight, um, but in the second, the second round was much was much more debatable because yes, yeah. Hawes got rocked, but it was um, in the third he got pieced up, and and, yeah. and like it seemed like a finish was imminent, um, or at least possible. So I don't, I don't know that I would. It's it was yeah, it was a, it's a tough one, very tough, very very tough one to judge because it all hedges on that second round. Um, yeah. But ballsy move, giving him the giving him a ten eight. Uh, yeah, I, I would I, look. I, I have no problem with the ten eight. I just have a, I have an issue with prioritizing control over damage, especially when that's not the case in some fights, right? Like there needs to be some yeah. goddamn consistency. Well, it depends on the nature of the control. I mean, it's it's all it's all about a balance. You know, it's because re- there's it's it's gradients. It's degree. It's degrees. Like. You know, Kunitskaya emphatically finished a fight by nearly finishing and creating an incredible amount of damage to the point where a doctor probably would have been called in if that hadn't been the end of the fight. Yeah, but Imovov had him almost knocked out twice. Well, kind kind of. It's always hard to tell because Hawes didn't really stop moving. He was rocked. Uh, he was rocked a bit, but he kept it. You know, he kept. 
it it wasn't like he was complete. Uh, Caitlin Vera was completely at Kuniskaya's mercy. There was not like you know she she was stuck and she was just eating like massive shots and. But she wasn't hurt outside of the cut. But I do hear you. Are it's, you it's sure? I don't mean. I don't know. She looked. She was. I don't know. It's, it's yeah. It's tricky. But it's all it's all gradients and it's very hard um, because yeah, not not all damage, not all offense is equal. Definitely. Um, um, and then and then we have the fight between Tom Aspinall and Andrei Arlovsky. Aspinall, one concern uh, that I have about him is his ground game. He definitely looked offensive here in his last two fights, right, where he didn't love the way things were going on the feet. He thought there was some danger there, took his opponent down, finished him shortly thereafter, and he did it to a veteran in Andrei Arlovsky in the second round, which you know I kind of doubted Aspinall's conditioning since he hasn't really gone successfully to the second round in several years. And uh, he did it here, man. It was early in the second. I'm still... I'm still curious about his ground game off his back. I'm still curious about his long-term conditioning, but really, really impressive. Nobody just like submits Andre Arlovsky, right? You might catch him because he doesn't have a great chin. You might get a squicker of a decision over him, but to get like a decisive finish over Andre Arlovsky like this is impressive. I will say yeah. though, Arlovsky was landing a couple of those right hands uh, toward the end of the first round and early in that second round, which is what uh, inspired Aspinall to shoot for a takedown. Yeah, but still Aspinall, you know, He's good. He's got a lot of tricks. He, um, he, you know, he unloaded with with that nice flurry um, to win the first round definitively, and he's crafty. Um, Arlovsky knew that he that he made a mistake uh, turning the way that he did to get up, but uh, yeah, I mean, we're all I think we're all excited to see Tom Aspinall fight again. I think so. I think a tie to Vasa or Sergey Spivak for Aspinall next would be interesting. And for Andre Arlovsky, let's pair him up with Overeem. I think that's the perfect matchup to make if they're both still active heavyweights. Have, I mean, they, they must have fought each other, right? I don't think they... Yeah, they I, fought in 2016. Oh, uh, Overeem got a knockout? Not, yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if they fought sometimes. Did they fight any time before that? No. Um, but that's good to know. Yeah, but that was so a different fight. version of Overeem and definitely like not, a, uh, uh, not an Arlovsky that was in a good place. Here, Arlovsky is actually like was streaking leading up to this loss. And Overeem, you know, has been struggling lately. So, I, oh, actually, no, so Overeem was also streaking. So they're at the exact same points in their careers, in their, like, third evolution of their careers, where we wrote them off, like, multiple times before, right, these two fighters. So I'd still be interested in a rematch between the two. I think I could see it headlining a, a kind of a lower UFC fight night in the near future. And then we have, uh, just real quickly, Jared Gordon earned a workmanlike decision over Danny Chavez, used his experience and tact and pressure. Really good stuff. You called that one because I disagreed with you. John Castaneda picked up a win over Eddie Weiland. That's another one that you called that I disagreed with you on. Julian Arosa, another upset win over Nate Land, where he just knocked him out in the first round. Talked about how Nate has his hands down and Arosa is comfortable in the pocket. I expected that Nate was going to out-tough him, and he couldn't. Casey O'Neill, I picked her to beat Shayna Dobson, and she did decisively dominate yeah. second-round TKO. Eamon Zahabi coming out with a big win over Draco Rodriguez with a knockout. I think a lot of us didn't know what to really expect of him. We knew he wasn't very athletic, but man, did he show power in this one. And Sergey Spivak, who I wouldn't mind seeing uh, face off with one of the other winning heavyweights on this card, dominated uh, Jared Vandera. He definitely backed up that uh, uh, the odds on this fight and where he was a big favorite. Yeah, pretty good card overall. I agree. I'm definitely looking forward to this next one, which I think might be a little bit better on paper, Nick. Let's take a break, come back, and break down what's coming up where we have Rosenstrike going up against Cyril Gahn in the main event of next week's card. 
back on the MMA Geeks podcast to break down UFC Fight Night, Rosenstrike versus Gone. Interesting heavyweight matchup, Nick, where we have a guy who's got only the one loss in the UFC, and that is to the potential best heavyweight on the planet, uh, Jarzinho Rosenstrike, going up against Gone, who looks like he could be a lightweight with his skills, with his speed, how late he is on his feet. He doesn't have a whole lot of power for heavyweight, I would say, but he's certainly been streaking and undefeated in the UFC so far, has shown a great ground game and great stand-up. But it's Rosenstrike who definitely has the power advantage, so I'm definitely interested in this matchup. Uh, I get the first pick this time, Nick. I'm up by one point over you overall, although I think you took the edge on me in a couple of events this year, uh, this season. I am going to take us. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to take uh, Magomed Ankalaev to beat Nikita the Minor Krilov. Yeah, I am a, a big one. believer in Ankalaev. Uh, these guys be. have, <laughs> yeah, th- these guys have very similar physical stats, right? Krilov used to be a berserker going like 100% for the first five minutes in hopes of a finish before getting exhausted, kind of like Derek Minner used to be. But he has matured and implemented a lot more strategy into his game, right? He's managing his energy and even wrestling when the style matchup calls for it, which I think can make a real difference. His only two losses since 2016 are to the current champ, Jan Blakowicz, and he lost to top contender Glover Teixeira by split decision recently. So he's a really skilled fighter. I think that the odds are a little bit too wide, given that, because he's super dangerous too. Ankalaev is a serious prospect, like I said, a 205 sharp, fast southpaw kickboxing game with solid defense to counters. Like he's not there to be countered even by faster guys, which is, or even by fast guys, which is impressive. He's extremely fast for a size. He will ground out of uh, grind out a fight if he needs to, and has the wrestling and ground game to do it. His one losses in his UFC debut in a fight. He was dominating for 14 and a half minutes until he got caught in a Hail Mary triangle by Paul Craig. Um, I like Uncle. I have to dominate this one. He's faster, more composed, more technical, really everywhere. There's always a chance Krilov catches him with something since he is dangerous, but I feel good about Uncle Ive's ceiling and potential at 205 pounds. I think he's one of the reasons that I'm excited about the state of the light heavyweight division at this point, Nick. Yeah, he's pretty... I mean, I, I think we're all excited to see him, and now he's out He's out of the Kuntalaba Wars. Um, Definitely, man. He wasted a year on that guy. Yeah, I'm very... I can't wait to see him again. He's so, he's so much fun to watch. Um, my first pick, I'm going to go... Uh, I think I'm gonna go with your girl. I think uh, I think Angela Hill is going to be victorious in her rematch, uh, the rematch everyone's been asking for. Uh, <laughs> Angela Hill uh, over Ashley Yoder. Like, listen, Yo- I mean, Yoder's pretty good at what, what's been Hill's kryptonite, which is grappling. Uh, Yoder being a Team Quest fighter, but Hill has held her own with with women uh, who I think are and has been able to stay on her feet for the most part with women who are superior grapplers, and I think that. The improvement that Hill's made since her, the last time she beat Yoder is is much. She's come, I think, a, a much further way than than Yoder has. I think that she should, Angie should be able to, uh, you know, piece her up on the feet and hopefully um, avoid getting uh, overpowered in the clinch and and taken down there. So I I like uh, I like Hill to piece her up and get her second win over Yoder. Also, just like Yoder has doesn't have she doesn't have signature wins yet. Like she hasn't every time she's been in against good competition um, or even raw talented people. Like when she fought Mackenzie Dern, it was a different version of you know it was a less evolved version of Dern that we're seeing now. And she lost a split decision. She just hasn't really turned the corner over over good competition and Hill, in my opinion, deserved a win over Claudio Gadea. And she, you know, really went to war with Michelle Waterson. So yeah, I just think, I think Hill's on another level and this is an extremely winnable fight for her. 
Yeah, I think Angela should win an entertaining scrap if she's mentally where she should be. It, like, it shouldn't be that close, although Yoder has a tendency to make fights a lot closer than they could be. Yoder's overall skilled. She's not fast. She's not athletic. She's not particularly strong. But she does have a good ground game. She has an improving southpaw striking game. Um, the problem with Yoder is that she can't really push the pedal in that third round in most cases, right? Where it's a close fight, it could go either way, and she needs to win that third round. She doesn't usually come through. And this fight being booked on a week's notice, Angela Hill having fought five rounds in her last fight, right? So so presumably, even on paper, if they're not if they're getting off the couch, which I doubt, Hill should have the cardio advantage. Hill is able to push in that third round, if not maybe in that fifth round. And this is a three-round fight, so I'm there with you. I, I, I like the progression of Hill. She's become a much, much better fighter than she was years ago. And you're right, both fighters have improved, but Hill has improved uh, several levels above. And Yoder, let's face it, is kind of a journey woman at 115 pounds. My next pick, I'm going to take Dustin Jacoby to beat Maxim Grishin. Uh, Jacoby, like, you know, had a stint in the UFC earlier in his career. He did not like do all that well. He wasn't all that talented back then, like on a whim, took a glory tournament fight and ended up winning that tournament, ended up becoming a top glory contender, doing really well there as he focused on his kickboxing. And then he got back to MMA very recently, sliding basically right into the UFC. And, uh, he looked good in his UFC debut, man, just disposed of a good boxer and Justin Ledette and half around using his calf kicks and power punches. Muck seems like he has a super low output, right? He's actually undefeated in his last 10 light heavyweight fights. So like the odds might be a little bit too wide here. He's a super experienced guy might have the ground game advantage, but I like, uh, I like Jacoby's, uh, output. I like his speed. I like his kickboxing advantage against the guy who just doesn't really throw a whole lot. I realize it's risky, but I've got Jacoby. I'm going to disagree with you on this one. I think, really? uh, I've, yeah, I've got, I've got Grishin. I liked, I liked what we saw from Grishin in his last fight. Uh, I think he, sh- I, I'm still curious about this guy. I think he could have an interesting upside, and I have a, I just have a, I have a feeling. I have a sne- This is one of those fights where I have, a, I have a sneaking suspicion. Um, for my next fight, I'm going to go with. Uh, Maria Bueno Silva to defeat Montana De La Rosa. Um, I just, I haven't seen, this is more a pick against De La Rosa than a pick for uh, Bueno Silva, though I like her, um, you know, I, I like her skills. They both have strengths in similar areas um, with their, you know, with their ground game, uh, if I'm remembering correctly. But like, De La Rosa just hasn't se- seemed to me to be able to put it together and be a UFC caliber opponent. Like, I don't know exactly what it is. Sometimes it seems like she's getting out muscles. Sometimes it seems like she doesn't know uh, exactly what to do or isn't offensive enough. She just seems lost in there to me. And she hasn't had, uh, I think, the level of success against uh, high-level competition that Bueno Silva has. So I expect her uh, maybe not to get finished, but to get uh, to get controlled throughout this fight. So Myra Buena Silva is a dangerous kickboxer. She is dangerous off her back with submissions, right? But her wrestling is almost non-existent. She just accepts takedowns. Montana Del Rosa is a really good grappler, and she's a really good wrestler. For that reason, yeah. I'm edging uh, her way. I realize that she can get finished on the feet. She can potentially potentially be caught in an armbar uh, from top position, but I feel like she's good enough for a grappler to avoid armbars, keep that top position, and win a decision here. Um, so I, I am disagreeing with you slightly, but I'm rooting for Mara Buena Silva, who I think if she shores up her wrestling has a higher ceiling, she's more entertaining, uh, more dangerous, much more of a finisher. So I'm definitely hoping that you're right, but I'm uh, technically disagreeing on the pick. 
my next pick is going to be in the Alexis Davis, Sabino Mazo matchup. Um, this is kind of an old guard versus new guard matchup. It seems to me on paper, like it's kind of a setup fight for Mazo. Who's looking like a real prospect. She's a tall Southpaw striker with a killer head kick. She's got several head kick finishes or head kicks that led to submissions. She trains under Rafael Cordero, Kings MMA three and one in the UFC. She's a slow starter, tends to lose the first round, but gets better and more dangerous as the fight goes deeper. Her takedown defense in the second or third rounds is particularly solid, even though she can be taken down early. I'm going to pick the up-and-comer here, uh, but Mazo tends to make mistakes that make some fights closer than they have to be, and Davis is crafty enough to, I think, exploit those kinds of mistakes, but I'm picking uh, Sabina Mazo to beat Alexis Davis in this one, probably by decision. Yeah, this is a tricky one. Like, most people on Topology are picking against Davis. Gosh, if the points thing wasn't such a big deal, I would definitely pick Davis. But you've messed with the scores here. Because I, I feel like her, her run of losses has been – I want to see where she's really at. Because she's been her, – her trio – I think I think she's in a three-fight skid. But yeah, it's against – it's, it's, it's against – yeah, it's against really, really great people. And Mezo, we've seen give – I mean, essentially like one signature performance after uh, maybe two. Uh, what is – hang on. I have to go back and do a record here. Yeah, she looked, I mean, she looked great against Justine Kish. And if I recall, she ate a lot against Aldridge. She got beat up by uh, Morose a bit. But she, yeah, she's on a, this is an interesting one. They've got a three-fight win streak against a three-fight losing streak. It's not a usual UFC play. It's, uh, yeah, it's just like the question is, like, because well, a year ago that she went to a split decision with JJ Aldridge, like, yeah, this is a who's this by is the a, way a serious prospect. She's like a really I know, skilled this fighter. Is a, Aldridge this is. is a this is like this is very very close to a pick'em for me, but I'll go most mostly because I don't want to feed your you know your numbers. I'm gonna go with Mezo. I'm not. I'm not sure. What do you mean by feeding the numbers? Well, if if we agree on this pick. You're not, and whatever happens, it's neutral for our pick count. Oh yeah, but I, I feel like if the overall score is what counts, like I don't even know if tiebreakers are that necessary. Um, no, it's not I, as a tiebreaker. It's that it would give no. you. Um, it, that's the thing. Like you, you seem to on the scoring. You're more focused on like who has overall more successful picks. Oh no, no, versus, no, Nick. Versus you, drafting cards. Sir. Oh, that I am purely what? drafting. Uh, so like, if I pick five fighters this event, and you pick five fighters. Five of mine win and two of yours win. I have a big oh. advantage on this event. You see what I'm saying? Yes, it's, yes, yes. It's, it's not over. It's not overall picks. It's still purely the draft. Oh, it's, just it's the, the draft pick, but it's draft. it's success within. It's and then we're exactly. also looking at success within the draft. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, like, if, if you disagree right, with the pick, because not all wins are because not all wins are the same. Okay. Yeah. Um. Got it. Right. So me picking her doesn't impact the fights. Yeah. I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Davis. I just think, and, and maybe I'll get to say I told you so. I just. Uh, We'll, I mean, we, we'll see. It's very interesting. Um, yeah, I am. My... Um, I, I am. Like I said, I'm disagreeing with you there. But, but yeah. man, it's it's possible. Davis is super crafty, and Mazo makes some mistakes. Go ahead, buddy. Uh, I'm gonna go with. Um, I'm gonna go with with Pedro Munoz to defeat Jimmy Rivera. I like Rivera a lot, but he just, he seems like he's on his decline. Like he had his peak shortly after he got into you know uh, got going in the UFC. Um, and I just I think that um, I think Munoz is just I think Munoz is going to be faster. He looked really good against Frankie Edgar, um, and I you know it's not like Rivera has you know has big power, 
Um, I could see. I could see Munoz finishing Rivera potentially. I think we're going to see Munoz was really pissed off that he didn't get that decision, which I think you and I agree that he probably deserved against, yes, against Frankie. Um, and I think he's going to be look, excuse me. I think, um, I think he's going to be looking to make a statement. I think 135 is a place where he can still like certainly make some noise and play a major spoiler. Um, and I just think I think he's got much more in the tank uh, than Rivera does at this point. Rivera has you know has good defense, but he can be, um, you know the 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 sort of explosive. Um, it's not good for him if he gets caught in an expl- like in a brawl with an ex- explosive fighter. And I, Munoz is just going to bring it in, in in pressure. And I gotta believe that over three rounds. Um, Munoz is going to land, uh, is going to do enough damage to get a decision. Similarly to the way that, that Rivera lost to Jan, but you know, obviously I don't think Munoz is quite Jan, but, um, I could see it going that way. Yeah. This is a rematch from a few years ago. Where oh yeah. Rivera yeah. And Rivera decision. won. Uh, yeah. the smaller cage is going to help Munoz's pressure since Rivera's going to run out of room sooner than in the bigger cage. But Jimmy has excellent footwork and cuts great angles. So I don't think it's that simple. I see this as a similar matchup with Jan, except Munoz is smaller and doesn't have quite as much power. Munoz has serious, uh, like a serious ground game, unlike Jan, but Rivera is very hard to take down. If Munoz had trouble hurting Frankie Edgar, I'd imagine he might have some issues hurting Rivera, who arguably has better defense, probably a better chin. I think Rivera's speed and technique advantage would net him some rounds on his way to a decision win. But this is like honestly a close one, and I think on paper should be closer than their first matchup because I I'm not sure, but I think that Munoz has made more improvements than yeah. has uh, Rivera in this meantime. I, and I would also argue that he hurt Frank. Like I don't think Frankie knew where he was at the end of that fight. I think Munoz hurt him quite a bit. Um, and Rivera's had you know been he's suffered quite a few knockdowns in his last couple fights. Um, so you're picking. I'm I'm picking Rivera, who I think. Okay. Well, so I'm disagreeing with you. Who I think, honestly, skill for skill, might be the best guy in the division. Maybe Aljamain Sterling, who clearly outcrafted him. Right? It's not that he caught him; he just outcrafted him. He just was the better man. Because if you uh, you and I discussed this a couple of times, Jimmy Rivera, Peter Yan fight. Jimmy Rivera was clearly the better, more skilled fighter in that one. He just got caught twice at the end of two of the rounds. Um, and if he didn't get knocked down at the end of the two of those rounds, he would have won a pretty clear-cut decision. So I just think he's super, super skilled and crafty enough to avoid how wild Pedro Munoz is, right? Pedro's not quite as excellent at that pressure, at that relentless offense, as is uh, the champ. So for that reason, I'm still siding with Rivera. But he can get caught, man. Munoz has some serious power, especially if you give him a clear opportunity to get you. I just like Rivera's defense in this matchup. My next pick is going to be... This is where it gets a lot harder for me on the list here. I'm going to go with Alex Bruce Leroy Caceres to beat Kevin, the hard-hitting hillbilly Kroom, Nick. Kroom made his UFC debut and looked really good uh, in a quick win over Roosevelt Roberts. He literally made the debut, I think, on one day's notice, Nick. Uh, got that quick win, hurt him on the feet, and then submitted him with the guillotine. And then went on to get that win removed from his record because he had some pot probably a day or two before he... Uh, schedule that bout. It's the craziest thing. So look, Kroom is da- like he hits hard enough. I don't th- like. I think skill wise, there's a big gap between these two on the feet. 
On the ground, Kroom is a brown belt. He trains with Glory MMA under James Krause. So there's reason to believe that he could pull off the upset here. I Just watching tape on these two guys, Caceres has 12 losses at the UFC level, right? Ten of those losses at least are at the UFC level. Kroom lost on like the local level to much more mediocre opponents, even though a couple of his opponents were pretty good. Uh, so I just feel like Caceres is a much higher level journeyman than is Kevin Kroom. And yep. these entry-level UFC fighters, Caceres tends to have success over. I agree. Um, for my next, uh, so I've got the same pick there with uh, with Caceres, Bruce Leroy. Um, I'm gonna go with the main event next. I'm gonna pick. Uh, I'm gonna pick Cyril Gan to defeat Arsenio Rosenstrike. Um, I could eat my words there. The fact of the matter is that um, in his last two fights, Rosenstrike has has lost. You know, it's pretty close to like 95 percent of the minutes. Um, for a guy with his kickboxing background, he's not he's not particularly active. Um, I mean, he's got he's got insane power as as uh, as many have have discovered, but he's certainly not as well rounded as as Cyril Gan is. And if you think about the trouble that he had with Overeem um, until he caught the knockout, and Overeem we know is you know can make defensive lapses and also has a compromised chin, Gan is. You know he's kind of Overeem 2.0. He can do. He can. He's a great kickboxer. He's good everywhere. He's ex, he's extremely athletic um, and fast. And all he has to do. I mean, easier said than done. But he has to kind of. He has to avoid the big one. And if if I think it's more likely that Shogun does does damage, possibly hurts Rosenstrike himself, um, and gets and is able to over five rounds uh, avoid the big one. I think his I think his footwork, his movement. Um, in, in general, I just think he's a more elusive, more well-rounded uh, fighter who probably has a higher upside. Whereas Rosenstrike has has shown us that, yes, he's got he's got fight-ending uh, power um, in his you know in his kickboxing, um, you know particularly those heavy heavy hands. But he there's there's times when there's times kind of when he when he looks lost or he is uh or he he kind of like waits he's just waiting and waiting and waiting and if gone is as technical um and if he's as strong mentally as as i think he is rosenstrike might just keep on waiting yeah i mean it's it's interesting i think part of the reason rosenstrike doesn't throw a whole lot of strikes is one because he has serious power two because i think he's tempering himself right he's got over 70 uh, he's got like over 80 combined, I think, mixed martial arts and kickboxing bouts, 70 combined knockouts between those two sports, right? So he's so much more experienced than Gan in any capacity, right? Gan is a, a Muay Thai fighter formerly, but I could only find like seven fights on his record. So he's like 7-0 and in Muay Thai. Uh, it's definitely different leagues and experience, but you're right. Gan is, is, is way quicker. He has a, a lot more weapons, right? For the most part, part Rosenstrike uses his hands whereas Gan uses the entire game the knees the kicks the elbows the elbows that he just finished his last fight with right against JDS uh the hands but Rosenstrike has way more power and I would say better hands overall when Gan looks bad it's when he's in boxing range and trying to trying to throw strikes he gets countered when he looks great is when he can keep it at kicking range and he is the much better kicker I think in this matchup so a lot of it really depends on if Gan could fight at his range and how good of a chin gone has for the occasion when he does get tagged by Rosenstrike, who again has fight ending power. He's got like Derek Lewis level power, in my opinion. If gone can take Rosenstrike's shots without going down, he should win a decision since he is more active on the feet. He also has a chance at locking in a submission since Rosenstrike should be a level or two below gone on the ground because the outside game worked so well for Overeem. Like you said, 
who was on his way to winning a five-round decision over Rosenstrike. I'm edging towards Gon. Um, I definitely don't think... I, I think Gon is much more skilled and technical than Overeem ever was. Um, but I would not be shocked if Rosenstrike tags him a few times with, uh, with you it's know, a definitely few, a few possible. shots and then takes him out. Yeah, I think a lot of this, again, depends on Gon's range, if he's able to keep his range, and how his chin holds up to the occasional counter-strike. I like that he rolls with shots. Uh, I'm there with you on Gon, but this was lower on my list. My next pick is going to be in the Ronnie Lawrence-Vince Cachero matchup. Ronnie Lawrence is just like a relentless wrestler, and I didn't really see a whole lot else in the one fight of footage that I saw on him. Vince Cachero in his UFC debut basically got taken down at will and got out kickboxed, but it was one weight division up over a really tough guy. So it's hard to kind of gauge what his true potential is, but he showed heart. He never stopped trying. His conditioning was good considering how short notice he took that fight on. I'm going to go with Ronnie Lawrence because Vince Cachero got taken down at will in that last matchup, even though it was against a much bigger man. I think Ronnie Lawrence should be able to get a bunch of takedowns and win a decision. What are your thoughts, buddy? I agree with you. I also had Lawrence picked over Vichero. Um we actually have disagreed on a lot this card, so we disagreed on one. Refreshing. I took yeah, I took Grishin over Jacoby. Not only that, we have uh, Munoz Rivera, De La oh, Rosa yeah, yeah. Silva, and Davis Mazo. So a lot of disagreement. Very unusual for us. I like it. Davis Mazo. Yeah. What's your next? Uh, oh, uh, well, probably you another said you one agree with where, the pick. where we're going to disagree. Uh, quite possibly. Go for it. This could be crazy. I'm going to pick Tiago Moises to defeat uh, Alexander Hernandez. Tell me more, Nikolai. Well, I, I just, I, I, I just told you. I'm gonna. That's pick. all you've got. <laughs> you've never heard of either guy. I've never heard of either. You just guy. figured. No, gonna pick the underdog I, in this one. <laughs> I thought that. Listen, Bobby Green is a tough out, dude. And Thiago Moises yeah, looked is. really good in that fight, and he looked good after weathering a storm, if I recall, against uh, against Michael Johnson. So, yep. you know. And then his other is only real. I mean, uh, you know, losing to Demir is Magu- is Magulov is um. Yeah, that guy hasn't lost in the UFC. So you are a master at Russian names, Nick. A master. Did I do well with that one? Yeah, it wasn't bad. Okay, it was an easier one though. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Uh, we got a Ruski left on the card, and I'm looking forward oh, to yeah. how are you gonna breaking my balls. I just. Uh, yeah, I li- I I liked I liked the way that he looked. I smell I I just I smell an upset here. I haven't really like since since a few years ago when he fought Olivier Alban Mercier, he uh Hernandez hasn't looked real good. That Trinaldo fight was super super close. He got pieced up by Grandpa Cerrone, pieced up by Drew Dober, and then, you know, you can't really t- take his last fight very seriously cuz uh you know, Chris uh Grutzenmacher is it's it's questionable whether he's a uh, really a U, like a UFC level guy. Um, you know he did he did get a win over Joe over Joe Lozon, but Lo, Lozon's a, you know he's well well past his prime at this point. So I just I really haven't been very impressed uh, by Alexander Hernandez since uh, you know almost exactly three years ago when he got Benil Daryush out of there real real quick. I got a feeling. I like the I like Tiago Moises fighting out of ATT, um, slick BJJ. He was able to uh, handle Bobby Green. I think if you got the slickness to handle Bobby Green, you could you can take care of uh, Alexander Hernandez. Yeah, I could see that. Hernandez has a wrestling background. He's really fast and explosive with the strikes, at least early on. But I wonder 
what his ability is like to just keep that going for a few rounds, right? Like, did he lose to Cerrone and Drew Dober after, like, pretty good first rounds? Did he lose to those guys because he was winded? Did he lose because he lost focus? Was it his mental uh, capacity? I'm not sure what it was, but maybe it was just that he wasn't ready, right? He came in and beat Benil Dariush in a few seconds, beat Olivia Aubin-Mercier by decision, and then got thrown into the hot heat against Donald Cerrone and Drew Dober. Um, these are, like scary fucking people to face a lightweight in your second in your third and fourth UFC fight or third and fifth, whatever it is. He trains out of factory X, which is that elevation Colorado, which I think can certainly kind of help with the cardio situation. I don't know that he was training with them a couple of years ago when he first came into the UFC and he's coming off that knockout. So he's confident, right? Moises also was seen as kind of a prospect going into his UFC debut. And they kind of also threw him into the deep water um, known as a black belt. Even like he's considered elite, but I've never seen him do anything that I would consider to be elite on the ground against anyone so far. Uh, he takes people down, they get up, or he's on his back and not nothing major really happens. So I'm not that impressed with this BJJ, but he's a good, you know, he's a good grappler. He did look much improved against Bobby Green, like you said in his last bout. It's not so much that he was slick; it's that like he he was willing to strike. He was confidently striking. Right, he was throwing back back at Green. He was letting loose with those kicks. And that's not something I've seen in him before. And he was countering well enough too, even though Green was slicker and more skilled. I see plenty of improvement uh, in Moises when it comes to his focus, confidence, and striking. But I'm edging towards Hernandez here. Another Hernandez disagreement. That's right. Uh, he should not be taken down by Moises in the first round, at least. And by then, Hernandez should land enough bombs, given a speed advantage, to hurt Moises and put him in kind of survival mode. And if it goes past the first round, I have concerns about Hernandez being able to keep up the speed and pace, but I'm edging towards him anyhow. Uh, disagreement with me there, buddy. And my next pick is going to be in the Ramazan Kuramagamedov versus Alex Oliveira fight. It's a weird situation, right? Alex Oliveira, who's not been looking all that great lately. I think he's something like two and three in his last five fights. And going in, losing his last fight to a guy that made his UFC debut. So not the best case scenario. Um, and he got finished by him too, right? Now he's facing another Russian, 24 years old, Dagestani prospect, 8-0 record. He used to train under Mark Henry in New Jersey, but switched to Extreme Couture more recently. Won a split decision over Jordan Williams on Contender Series when he was 5-0, but he didn't get a contract. And I'm not sure if it was because it was boring or Dana didn't think that he deserved the win. Um, he's a slick creative striker with a diverse range of strikes, but his biggest strength is probably his wrestling and grappling. He's been wrestling for 15 years, and that's kind of his safe place in most fights. Ramazan took the fight on short notice, and he looked tired in the third round on Contender Series, but I'll assume he's been training for a short notice UFC opportunity. And like the fact that he's training in Vegas now, maybe that was part of his thinking, is that I could be a last-minute replacement. If I stay and train in Vegas, I'd have a higher chance. Oliveira is dangerous and crafty, but he is, like I said, 2-5 and five in his last seven fights after going 9-3 and three in his first dozen UFC fights. He's not in a great place, so I'll pick the short notice replacement to get a big win against Oliveira here. Yeah, that's that's my instinct also, but it was I was you know I wasn't that interested in picking that one. It seems like a tough, uh, it seems like a tough one. Uh, Your interest means nothing to me, Nick. Nothing. How many do we are we down to one fight left to pick or two? Yes, sir. Your last pick, and it is in the William Knight Alonzo Manifield matchup. Yeah. Well, I'm going to... Uh, Don't fuck this up, Nick. Probably go Just against saying. you, too. One of us is going to have a real embarrassing... Uh... <laughs> probably. I'm going to go with Knight. Um, mostly because, th- like, he's raw, but he's so strong. <laughs> and so, yeah, he really is so raw. But he's so big and strong and scary. And Menafield... I mean, Menafield's... 
Uh, he's coming. He's coming off of an ugly loss. I don't know. Knight. Knights. Uh, I. I want to see what Knights got. I could be totally wrong here. I just think that like he seems. He seems like a like a, a homunculus or something. Like I just don't. I don't know. I don't know what Menafield's going to be able uh, to do to him. Yeah, I mean the one loss on uh, William Knight's record was to Anzichuku, I think. Maybe I'm saying his name wrong. It's that recent guy uh, who came in with a kickboxing background and got a, a first or second round knockout, if I remember correctly. Um, he basically lost in the first round. It was yeah, a really, that guy was good. Yeah, he was really solid, and it was a really bad stoppage. It was a terrible stoppage, or I shouldn't say terrible. I guess there's an argument to be made, but Knight didn't seem out at all once the stoppage actually happened. He like got up and was like, "What are you doing? What's what the fuck is going on?" So his one loss was to a heavy-handed striker with decent takedown defense, and that's basically Alonzo Manyfield, right? I can see Knight mimicking the game plan of Darren, Devin Clark and pressing Menafield against the cage, but what cost Menafield in that fight was a lack of conditioning, right? It sounds like he's addressed that since. He walked into his next fight, granted he lost against OSP, but he walked in looking in phenomenal shape compared to his uh, prior days, right? Just chiseled, whereas he was just very muscular before that. So I kind of believe that he addressed that. Plus, Clark is much more technical everywhere than his Williams, even though Williams is probably mentally a lot stronger. I'm going with Menafield in the hope that he's mentally rebounded from the KO loss and that he doesn't willingly engage in the clinch like he did with Clark. Since he should have the ability to avoid takedowns, he should have a good uh, bit of striking advantage in this matchup. Williams kind of reminds me of Spike Carlisle in some ways, just a raw, physically imposing, shorter man with the mental fortitude to sometimes overcome technical deficiencies. But he didn't get right? tired against Alexa Kamur. Uh, he slowed down a bit, but he didn't get very tired. I, I don't disagree there with you. And Kamor did kind of gas a little bit, and that was part of the reason he lost. Uh, but yeah, he was able to get that top position, and again, just pure physicality. He was able to kind of tough his way to a win. Um, I'm not ready to pick Williams in this matchup. There's a William Knight, excuse me, in this matchup um, until I see him handle an opponent like this, right? An opponent who's got actual skills. I think Menifield's mental state is going to decide this fight. If he's in a good mental place, this is a good style matchup for him unless William Knight is truly, truly something special. And uh, he could be. I'm just not necessarily there yet. I, I think being as raw as he is, at 205, he can usually get away with it. So this is the division to do it at, either 205 or heavyweight. But I just feel like Menafield is going to walk in with more power in his hands, more technique standing, and presumably better takedown defense. Devin Clark should be a more skilled version of William Knight. Maybe, but it's uh, Alex. I don't think Alexa Kamora is any slouch. I think he's. I think he's a, still a prospect himself. We'll see. I think. Uh, I I have a, you know, I have a good feeling about. Uh, I mean, the, one of the big differences, like he's fighting out of Hartford, Connecticut. Like, who's in that gym? Um. Yeah, just about nobody. I think I picked. Ag- I think I picked. Ag- I probably picked against him in the last fight because of that. I can't remember if I picked him or not. Yeah. But I know I, I had the other guy last time. Uh, my first pick, Nick, today was Magomed on Kalayev. Dustin Jacoby was my second pick. Third, I took Sabino Mazo. Fourth, Alex Bruce Leroy Caceres. Fifth, I took Ronnie Lawrence over, over Vince Cachero. And my final pick was Ramazan Kuramagomedov versus Alex Oliveira. Can you just say that name once? Ramazan Kuramagomedov. Ramazan uh, close enough. Kur- <laughs> <laughs> One more try. Last time. Ramazan Kuramagomedov. 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 
Kura Magom Kura Magomedov. Kura Magomedov. I can't imagine that any of our listeners actually sat through the last like eight <laughs> or nine seconds. Like I seriously considered shutting off my computer. Wait, as, you can as, you say as, it? Can you say it again? Uh, Ramazan Kuramagomedov. 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 Yeah. Kuramagomedov. That's pretty good. Thank you. You got a motherfucker. You got in my head. The way I was in your head after being three and zero going into this pick. It's the score is fourteen to thirteen, buddy. You still got some catching up That's, to do. The score is three to one. 14 to 13. Three to one. I had 14 correct draft picks. You had 13. So, well, real quick, it's your be picks One were, of us could take a big hit this week. Yeah, I think it's a good chance. Uh, your first pick was Angela Hill. Second, you took Myra Bueno Silva. Your third pick was Pedro Munoz over Jimmy Rivera. Fourth, you took Cyril Gunn over Jarzinho Rosenstrike. Fifth, you took... Tiago Moises over Alexander Hernandez. And your final pick was William Knight to defeat Alonzo Manyfield. Nikolai, a lot of disagreements. This will be interesting. There's a good chance one of us will look really bad. And I think, like, for sure, like, very likely one of us will have a decent lead by the end of this event. So I'm, I'm very into it. Or, uh, we could also both split it. And who knows? Anything can happen. One thing that's crazy True. is, yeah, Gone is a minus 275 favorite. That seems a Nick, little, that's insane. That seems a little aggressive to me. Minus 150, maybe I could see that. Minus one twenty five, like a lot of you know what it you know what it is really the question is where did the lines open right because the Vegas bookmakers they essentially go with what they think the right number will be to start right and then betters end up moving that line so I'm quickly gonna look this up Nick we're gonna figure out he was a minus three hundred favorite when it first opened huh. it's insane especially considering Jarzinho Rosenstrike's power man like he has yeah. twenty five minutes against the guy who doesn't have much power to land a big shot on him. And Cyril Gaon, like, I don't know how good his chin is, but he is human. And Rosenstrike, I think, has the kind of power that can knock out just about any human with the right timing and, and positioning. But, yeah, it should be interesting. I, I definitely think Rosenstrike by uh, either finish or TKO is a good bet to make. I think you should get something like plus 350 odds for that. I, I would recommend, you know, throwing off half a unit on that. Like, not a serious bet, but maybe half of what you would normally seriously bet. Angela Hill and Magomed Ankalaev are great parlay placements, I think. Uh, Kevin Kroom is probably a decent... Uh, Kevin Kroom, by finish specifically, might be a prop bet to throw out there as long as you include Alex Bruce Leroy in a parlay of sort, just kind of a hedge that way. I also am curious what the Cyril Gaon odds are for him to win by decision because I think that's probably likely. I also think plus 300, that's not bad. Uh, I also think he can win by submission given his uh, his ground game. I wonder, though, if he can get it to the ground against a guy like Gaon. We're quickly going to mention that next week is UFC 259, Israel Adesanya versus Jan Blakowicz, Amanda Nunes versus Megan Anderson, right? Two title fights. But here's another one, Piotr Jan versus Aljamain Sterling. Nikolai, I'm psyched for this. I think that Adesanya Blakowicz is probably closer, a lot closer on paper than the odds would suggest. Um, I don't think that Megan Anderson has a high chance, although she has power in her right hand. And I'm fascinated by Peter, Piotr Jan versus Aljamain Sterling. I cannot wait to dive into this and break it all down. And then, and then we got Islam, the return of Islam Makhachev against Drew Dober, that's right. which well, is fantastic that's super exciting. And Thiago Santos against Alexander Rakic, who kind of cruised safely to victory over Anthony Smith in his last fight. Um, but, I mean that's that should be a that should be a banger. Have Santos coming off of that loss to Glover, um, yes, good stuff there. He's actually coming back faster from that fight than Glover is. I don't know how I feel about that, but 
Um, well, Glo- Glover's a much older man. He's probably still in yeah. store from that fight, believe it or not. Like, it really does uh, change your rate of healing. But Santos man, is not that young. Just zipping down that card. Oscar Oscarov. Joseph Benavides. You love that guy. I do. Well, I, yeah, yep. I loved him from his first fight. I picked him, and you were against him. And he's, he's now he's, like, number three in the division. Uh, Casey can't... Yeah, but he didn't... He didn't win. Jeez, like don't, this is, don't get carried away. This is, also, Askar Askarov is the only Russian fighter whose name you can pronounce easily. Dominic Cruz uh, and Casey <laughs> Kenny. Um, well, this Fantastic this is what we'll really we'll really find out if Dominic Cruz has anything left in the tank because if he get, if he gets beat by you know by Casey Kenny, like I mean Casey Kenny's great and surging, but it's just like what is the what does the dominator do at this point? Such a good fighter though. Um, I agree. Jake Matthews. Sean is Brady, back. Jake Matthews. Yeah, that's good. Yep. Tim Elliott, Jordan Espinosa should be exciting. Uh, Kaikara France, Rogerio Bontarin. I'm I'm interested in that. Also, Yudong Song versus Kyler Phillips. Kyler Phillips is a serious prospect. Super, yeah, super cool there. Yep. Uh, uh, Livinia Souza, uh, who won that last fight against Ashley Yoder, takes on Amanda Limos, uh, who I don't remember particularly well. <laughs> And uh, oh, Kennedy uh, and Sh- oh man, I'm gonna Enzuchuku, Enzuchuku, Enzuchuku. Um, he's an exciting fighter. I mean, very raw. Yeah, he's like he's his, medium. His he's fighting against right. yeah, Paul Craig was a hot mess, but yeah, um, it was. But I, I think it was Darko Stosic that was a hot mess. Where he um, was that the one where he kept taking low blow after low blow and somehow walked away with the win? I think so. It was a weird one. But yeah, I'm, I'm actually interested in seeing Mario Batista come back. From what I remember, he was like a prospect. I just haven't seen him compete. And, oh, actually, no. He's he's 2-0. Uh, he's got two wins in a row since his UFC debut against Corey Sanhagen. And he's fighting a gentleman named Trevin Jones, who sounds familiar. What has Trevin done for me lately? Oh, that's the guy that got the knockout win over Timor Value Up. Fascinating fight. Yeah, a lot of stuff to look forward to, not only this weekend, but more importantly at UFC 259 the weekend after that, where Blackowitz faces off with Adesanya in the men event. Can't wait, Nikolai. Another good What's one in the books. What's after that? Wait, wait, wait. No, making everybody stick around. Oh, then we've got the Leon Edwards. Oh, they, they, turned off, they, they turned off when you were trying to pronounce that guy's name. Yeah. Um, There's nobody listening right now. It's a pretty good card for the next one. I mean, well, I don't know if Eric Anders, Darren Stewart is your co-main event. I'm not sure, but <laughs> Leon. I mean, it'll, it's an interesting step up fight for Bilal Muhammad. It's he's calling his shot, and it's his chance. Um, you know. Yeah, and there are actually some familiar names on this one. Ben Rothwell, Philip Lenz is interesting to me. Ryan Span, Mirsir Sirkinov. It's kind of a card of losers, and like, let's see what they have ahead of them. Gavin Tucker's coming back against Dan Ige. It's a big step up for Tucker. Jonathan Martinez, who I like, is facing off with David Grant. Um, there, there's there's actually surprisingly a couple of decent fights on here. Tagir Ulambekov versus Matthew Nikolaou. Uh, Ricardo Lamas versus Zabaya Takuga. Rani Yaya. Yeah, I didn't realize he was in the UFC anymore, honestly. Don Madge, who I remember being a prospect, although I think he's coming off a loss, versus Nasrat Hakbrost. Jordan Charles Jordan is coming back. I mean, it's Nick, like this is a world of riches. Like Ginny maybe Frey I'm just has a fight a, nerd. Maybe has a fight she can win. Maybe. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't really care about Ginny Frey so much. I don't think oh, I'll always care about Ginny. I know you will, because she's pretty. That means something to you, but not to me, Nick. I dropped Nick, uh, Luke Rockhold as soon as he started losing, despite the fact that he's pretty. And we will talk to you next week. Did I just make you uncomfortable? No. You sure? Yeah. There was a lot of hesitation in your answer there. Yeah, it was weird. A little weird.
All right, fair enough. Have a good night, buddy. Bye. Good one in the books.